0: Welcome to Hence the Future podcast, I'm Matamor Cronin.
1: I'm Justin Clark.
0: And today we're discussing the future of marketing. And this is a very special episode for Justin and I because today marks the official launch of our brand new performance marketing agency, Noble Growth. That means today we'll be sharing our philosophy behind Noble Growth and more importantly we'll be teaching you, our listeners, how you can grow any idea from nothingness into greatness just by following a few simple methodologies that we've developed at Noble Growth. So we'll also be exploring how marketing is likely to evolve in the future and how you can use these industry changes to your advantage rather than be disrupted by them. So Justin, I think a good place for us to start is... Let's say you're a listener and you have a new idea for a product or service. What's the best way to get started?
1: Yeah, so it all starts with testing and testing your assumptions. So figure out what your assumptions are. Who Who is the target for this product or this idea? And write it down and test it out through like Facebook advertising or some other platform. Um, Facebook advertising is really nice for testing like this, but yeah, just figure out what all your assumptions are. What do you think is true about this product, this idea, and then you need to test it systematically. That's kind of the starting point.
0: Definitely, and the great thing about doing what you're saying and writing down your assumptions and testing them systematically is you can actually figure out whether a product will sell before you spend all the time, money and en- energy actually building it. And that's probably the biggest mistake I see a lot of founders make, is they get so focused on what they're gonna do at scale that they try to build the whole you know product pipeline and spend all this money on developers and UI designers. And they don't even know if people want the product yet. So what we try to do at Noble Growth is, we try to first establish demand and then systematically test our assumptions to optimize to achieve product market fit Mm -hmm. and
1: one thing to maybe touch on a little bit further with that is even if your initial assumptions are wrong and let's say you have some idea and your assumption about who is the target is wrong maybe if you tweak the target a little bit then that idea doesn't need to change, but you need to figure out and change who you're targeting. And maybe it just informs what, you know, what the marketing strategy around what you're doing is. Because sometimes people yeah. go into it thinking they know what's true and what, you know, what people we need to be targeting and what, you know, what the offerings should be. But you, know, you, you can alter these things and test them just a little bit without having to invest a lot, like you said.
0: Yeah, that's really important. You want to have a learning mindset and you don't want to have any sort of arrogance about thinking you know who the product is for, why someone would buy it, what the right way is for them to go through the path to purchase. So I think it'd be helpful now to just give a real world example so people can sort of understand what we're doing from a more tangible perspective. Okay. I'll use an example that is actually something that's happening right now with a friend of mine. So I have a friend named Hunter, and he's a surfer, I'm a surfer, and he started creating his own sun protection for himself and for his friends for when he goes surfing, especially around your nose and under your eyes. You can get really burnt if you have just even normal sunscreen. So he started making his own sort of Zinka, which is a mix of zinc, coconut oil, beeswax, and cacao. And it's got sort of a chocolatey tone to it, so he calls it Surf Chocolate. And you know, yeah. all of our like little friend group, we love this product. And Hunter came to me a few you know weeks ago, and he was like, oh, "I'm kind of curious, what if I started to make this into a real business?" And so I said, "Okay, first thing you should do, buy the Surf Chocolate domain, because that's like I saw that it was available, SurfChocolate.com for $11.99 a month, and I was like, dude, buy this domain right now." So that was the first step. So he's got that locked down. Uh, The next step is you want to set up a super simple funnel where you can test your assumptions and see if there is demand. So the simplest funnel would be you just have a Facebook lead ads campaign. And that doesn't even require a website or anything. You can literally just have ads and then people just click, click a button to give you their email if they're interested. So that's like the lowest Um, barrier to entry. You can just do a Facebook lead gen campaign. But if you want to go a little bit deeper and see, okay, would people really actually buy this? Then what I would recommend is you set up a super simple website funnel. I recommend building a super simple site on Squarespace, or if you want to just do a landing page, you can do it on Instapages or Lead Pages, or even MailChimp has their own landing page options now. And you want to make your assumptions super clear and explicit before you test this new funnel that you've built. So mm-hmm. some of the assumptions would be, yes, people will want this product. That's probably the <laughs> most fundamental assumption. Like people will yeah. actually buy this thing. Mm-hmm. The second assumption is who, like you said, who do you think is gonna buy it? And for us, we think it's most likely gonna be, you know, younger surfers and beachgoers who are living sort of near the beach. Mm-hmm. That's our assumption but it might turn out to be wrong we might find out that that uh you know older moms really like it because their babies uh you know they really care about using organic materials for their babies so it's good for their skin like we don't know yeah. we're just that's just our initial assumption of who it is and the next thing you want to do is you actually want to start testing the funnel so think about it as you've got the top of funnel is the ads the middle of funnel is the new website or landing page that you've built. And the bottom of funnel is where they actually check out to buy the product. And if you Mm -hmm. don't have the product ready yet, you can just do like, you know, enter your email and we'll let you know when this becomes available, Mm -hmm. sort of like a pre-launch. So you don't even have to have a way of shipping your product or any product actually in existence you can just have people sign up as like on like a pre-launch kind of a page. Or if you want to go one level deeper, you can do a pre-order where you don't actually charge their card, but you collect their credit card information. And then once the the product is made and shipped, that's when you charge it. So the most important thing with something like this is the top of funnel, because, you know, we really want to know is there going to be demand for this product? So your creative is gonna be super important. So think about what would you want in this type of creative. Let's start with the visual. So with visuals, it's super important that you make your product the star. Like think of any commercial you love. Think of an Apple commercial. It's all They don't use a lot of language or text on screen or things like that. They make the product the star, whether it's the MacBook, the iPhone. They just have beautiful shots of their products. Or another ad I love is Corona, where you'll have these ads where there's no talking, there's no text. It's just two people lounging in chairs at the beach, and they clink their Coronas, and they sip it. And you just have that feeling of utter relaxation. So keeping this in mind, where you want to make your product the star we could come up with ideas where, for instance, an easy thing for us would be Hunter and I both surf. We could just have some photos and videos of up high res, you know, up close of us both like putting on the surf chocolate and just like while wearing it, like, you know, throwing the frisbee around, or maybe we even use a drone to capture us in the water surfing while we're wearing the product. And probably it's also good not that it's just a few dudes that we get some of our friends who are females, to also show it so we can have a variety of different people using the product and another you know, good way is we also probably want to showcase the ingredients so maybe we have like a really nice close-up photo of the product and then next to it we put some of the ingredients like we've got some cacao beans some beeswax some cacao some coconut oil so you really get the sense that this is organic, it's natural. It's not only good for you and your face, it's also good for the ocean, because you're not polluting the ocean. Mm. So once you have your creative ready, then you need the copy, the text that goes along with the creative with the visual. So we always use the six principles of persuasion, when we start with our copy lines. And those are reciprocity, consistency, social proof, liking, authority, and scarcity. So I'll just give you one example of each one, and I think you'll instantly realize why these work. Um, They're just tried and true psychological tactics that work no matter where you are in the globe. As long as you're dealing with Homo sapiens, these will be effective. So for reciprocity, that's like, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. So one example could be, you know, ocean-friendly sun protection made from all natural ingredients. We're so confident you'll love it. We're giving away first orders for free. Pay only shipping. So that would be like, oh, wow, like if I order this, they'll actually give it to me for free. That like really lowers the barrier to entry. Or you could try another reciprocity where it's like buy surf chocolate and help heal the oceans. Ten percent of all profits go to Heal the Bay Foundation. And Mm -hmm. that's that's like reciprocity. It's not something I'm giving to you, but it's something I'm giving back to the environment on behalf of your support of surf chocolate. Mm. Another example, so for consistency, that's the second principle. Consistency is all about rooting your message in someone's identity. Like, oh, you're this type of person, then you should use this product. So, one copy line could be love the beach, but hate sunscreens that pollute the ocean. Try surf chocolate, it's made from 100% organic materials that protect your face and the environment. So, that's like you're this type of person. Oh, great. You care about the ocean. Then you should love this new product. Right. Yeah. And so the third principle is social proof. So for social proof, you want to give a sense that there's a real groundswell of people who love this product. And are you going to be one of the cool early adopters? Or are you going to be one of the laggards that's totally behind the times? Obviously, you want to be one of the cool early adopters. So one copy line could be Surfers all around L.A. are talking about this new sun protection called surf chocolate. So that's like, well, surfers are all around L.A. are talking about it. You know, I got to try it, see what all the fuss is about. Uh, Another principle is liking. And this is just the notion of if people like you and your whole vibe and what you're all about, they're more likely to support you and buy your product. So we could say, you know, we could add a line that just says created by local surfers in Los Angeles. Lasts all surfaces long, waterproof and highly effective. You know, so that's just like oh, we we like that it's local. We like that, especially if you're targeting in LA, you'll probably have mm-hmm. even better results with that sort of tactic. Mm-hmm. Another one is authority. That's the fifth principle of persuasion, and this is where you take someone who has endorsed your product that has some authoritative clout, and you use that to give clout to your product. So. You know we don't we haven't gotten this endorsement so we, we wouldn't say it until we had gotten it because we only say what is truthful in our ads but mm-hmm. let's say we got an endorsement from kelly slater we could say like you know veteran pro surfer kelly slater calls surf chocolate the best damn sun protection i've ever tried like that would obviously yeah. be phenomenal right <laughs> yep. and even if we can't get kelly slater maybe we can get you know i know a couple pro surfers that work at the local zj's boarding house and I'm sure mm-hmm. if we just gave some of them for free and th- asked them to tell us what they think, you know, we could probably get like a pro longboarder's endorsement and then you know, we could show a picture of him on his longboard with the served chocolate, have his endorsement. You know, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then the final principle of persuasion is scarcity. And this is the sense that, uh-oh, there's not too many of these left. You better act now. So this is giving mm. people a sense of urgency to buy this product. So here's one copy line that we could use as an example. We're giving out free samples of surf chocolate to the first 100 people who order. Don't miss out. So, you know, we may even decide to extend it beyond the first 100 orders. But by framing it in that way, people are more inclined to act and not to act, you know, weeks from now, but to act right now. Mm -hmm. So once we have these various visuals that we've created which by the way it can just be your iphone maybe you rent a drone and you just have your friends like it's not like you need to have so much fancy equipment and you have your copy lines just we always start with one copy line for each of the principles of persuasion then you test all of the different variations you can you can mix and match and combine them and Mm -hmm. you run some ads you know each week you run some ads and you figure out which of these work. And once you find some combinations that have some momentum, that seem to be working pretty well, then you can say, okay, we've done a pretty good job at the top of our funnel. Let's start to look at the rest of our funnel. So Mm -hmm. of the people who actually click the ad and go to the website, how many of them actually end up on the checkout page? And how many of people who end out on the checkout page actually buy the product? So you might be able to try, or you definitely are able to try new experiments that could improve both of those conversion rates in the middle and bottom of the funnel. So for instance, you could add, you know, it's the same real principles. You could add some authoritative quotes. You could add like a timer for when they can get their free sample, like must order in the next three minutes. You can add a little social proof saying like, you know, know, Jordan in Santa Monica just bought this product two minutes ago. Like there are so many ways you could try different colors of buttons, which you wouldn't think would make a difference, but they actually do make a difference. You can try so many variations, but the key is, you know, for a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks, you can determine whether this product will meet the needs of the market and whether you can build a profitable business on it without ever actually building out the product, creating the, you know, the pipeline of shipping and delivery, you can do it all just with Facebook ads, some good creatives, some good copy and a simple website or landing page.
1: Yeah. I mean, those are all, um, really important things to consider. And the thing that I want to drill in a little bit more on is the top of funnel. And you Mm -hmm. said testing, analyzing the results and then kind of making new tests. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this test analyze, optimize step of the top of the funnel is something that you can do at a really early stage. And there's like a few different levels, like you can get as hardcore with this as you want. So you could start with just using Facebook's built-in optimizers, because Facebook is actually really nice. You can have Facebook optimize the um, audience for you, it can optimize a lot of different things for you, whether you're doing Instagram ads or whatever else. But Um, one thing that you can do if you know some programming and if you're familiar with the Facebook API is you can sort of automate the testing. You can automate the analyzing and you can also automate the optimize step of this top of the funnel, which is really big.
0: So you you Um, can... In theory, although it's we're not quite there yet where you can uh-huh. automate all three of them, but you raise mm-hmm. a really good point, which is that that's where this is heading. That's where marketing is heading. Because yeah. right now, at least with the ads that you and I run, Justin, mm-hmm. we have the analyze part pretty much auto, fully automated. Yeah. Meaning we determine with our human monkey brains what we want to test and in, into the world. And then all of the analytics happens... Automatically you've set up some really good automated reporting we know what the key performance indicators are you can even set up automated emails so you see every day a snapshot of how your funnel is performing Mm -hmm. and the optimized you're right that some of the optimized step is also automated and that's why I always recommend starting with broadly targeting on Facebook because that you're basically giving more power for Facebook's algorithm to find the right people for your product whenever you target mm-hmm. narrowly, you're not giving much power to the algorithm because it has to work within these very narrow constraints. So mm-hmm. it can optimize amongst the ads that you've launched and it can optimize within the parameters of the audience that you've set, but mm-hmm. it's not like it can then, you know, come up with new ads and test those or optimize the landing page itself with like a better, you know, middle and bottom of funnel. So those yeah. those steps still need to be done by humans for now. Yeah. But in the future, it's possible, it's certainly likely, actually, that both all three steps could be 100% automated so long as you've given the system enough inputs early on.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, if, if you give the system a whole bunch of test creatives that work, I don't think it's too far off that we can have some sort of AI algorithm, some, some sort of image recognition, some sort of natural language processing, it would be a two part thing that would essentially pull from a bunch of stock photos, you know, getting things that are very similar to the images that have worked well. So it's like pulling from this external library, getting those creatives, obviously, when you're Automating the creative aspect of this there will still need to be human oversight Like this is not something that we can just trust to let loose completely at this point Because right right now the automation is more like we give it a whole bunch of test cases We give it a whole bunch of creatives and then the automation Figures out which of those are the best performers Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah at some point with some form of machine learning with some image recognition natural language processing it's possible that we could automate that step as well and i'm sure i'm sure there are people that are working on that especially yeah. in some of the big companies that are working on you know automating the the generation of text there've been a lot of really interesting papers on text generation um that's very human like at this point right. and that's the hardest problem that's going to be harder than the image recognition problem most likely
0: yeah. So I, I have a comment on the text part and on the image recognition part. So mm. on the image recognition part, you're right. It's fairly feasible for a computer to take the keywords in your website or in your, your page or whatever and create visuals based on those keywords. You know, you can search through Unsplash, mm-hmm. you could search through Strutterstock or video sites. Mm-hmm. However, my, my caveat to that would be when you see a stock photo... You might not even realize it, but subconsciously you're going to recognize that you may have seen this image before and that makes mm. it less likely to stop your attention and hold your attention. You're more likely mm. for your eyes to just gloss over it. Whereas yeah. if you've shot your own photos just with like your friends or something, even like on an iPhone, mm. then it's it tends to stand out better because people have never seen it before and they can kind of sense that they've never seen it before. And mm. then regarding the auto text generation that you were saying, I think there's been so much progress in natural language processing. So this is a, Mm -hmm. this is a really big area for how marketing can evolve. However, what I would say is it has to be factually correct. Like I'm sure a system could come up with really fantastically performing copy lines, but they might all be lies. Like it might just (laughs) be like, you know, like they might come up with the best possible quote from the best possible surfer in the case of surf Mm -hmm. chocolate and yeah the ads will perform great but then kelly slater will be like what the hell i never said this i've never heard of (laughs) surf chocolate so it's so i think like what would probably happen in the midterm is the system generates the types of copy lines that will do well and you can either select Mm -hmm. the ones that are factually correct or you can just use them as inspo to sort of write your own and and that's kind of like we created an uh an ad copy generator on our website, noblegrowth.co that it's still in the very early stages. It only gives you like three copy lines now, but that's Mm -hmm. the basic idea is that you fill out some info and then it auto generates high performing copy based on just some Mm -hmm. formulas that we know work really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely something to consider. Like Kind of like we said, this is not something where you just let it roam free completely. And right. what what I've um, sort of you know something that we've talked about, and something that I've started to think more and more is that creatives are really the driver of a lot of this. Yeah, that's that is the human aspect of marketing. How how do you actually word things? How do you actually design things? Mm -hmm. And just the creative aspect of this, because you can automate the analyze and optimize step as long as you have a lot of good creatives. Mm -hmm. And that's that can lead to better results down the funnel, especially if the human effort is focused on making the best creatives possible.
0: Totally. And that's sort of why the marketing industry is shifting as far as what the jobs are. So, it used to be the case, and this still is true to an extent, that one of the most widespread marketing jobs is a media buyer. I can guarantee you that that job will be completely eliminated in the next five years. Because all a media buyer does, they're not a creative, they're not a copywriter, they don't strategize really high level. All they do is they place media buys on Facebook or Google or whatever and that mm-hmm. used to be valuable because you used to have to strategically bid, like, how much am I going to bid for this ad on a per-click mm-hmm. basis? But now you get way better results if you just let Facebook do its thing. So mm-hmm. there's no point in hiring a media buyer when you can just launch ads on Facebook and let Facebook's algorithm take care of of who to show your ad to on its own. Mm-hmm. So what's way more valuable now is if you actually have some creativity, and you're a marketer who can come up with marketing ideas as far as what the visuals are, what the copy is, what the story is that you're trying to tell, what the feeling is that you're trying to sell. Like think of that, that Corona ad where you get that feeling of relaxation. And there's this famous quote by Steve Jobs, where he says, you know, we live in a noisy, messy world, and we're not going to get a chance To let people know much about us no company is so we have to be very clear about what we want people to know about us like you really only get like the more effective the most effective campaign is when you just have one concept that you just drive home over and over and over again like think Mm -hmm. about how many podcast episodes or ads you've listened to where they talk about the cash app like da da, yeah. da da da, and like they're just drilling in. This is the cash app. If you need cash, anything related to cash, this is the app for cash. The cash app. Like, <laughs> but they just drill it in. It's like, repeat, repeat, repeat. Say whatever. You, when you find something that works, like when you find a copy line or visual that converts, keep drilling that message home, because the more you repeat a, a truth, the more it'll stick in someone's brain, and the more they'll remember your brand. When they're thinking about making a purchase.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a really important thing to consider as well. What do you think? Um, like, what are what does the future look like in your mind? Like, how is you said that ad buyers or yeah. um, like these people are probably or at least the, that job is not going to exist. What do you think is going to change in the other? aspects of the marketing industry and, um, the future of marketing in general.
0: Yeah. Well, so part of my answer is going to depend on whether we're talking about the worst case, the best case or the most likely case. (laughs) Right. So um, maybe we should just get into that if we want.
1: Yeah, let's, I'm down. Let's do it. So yeah. Tell me about the worst
0: case scenario. Worst case scenario. My worst case scenario is black box algorithms. And unfortunately, this is to an extent what the status quo is already. And what I mean by that is that right now, we have no idea what really goes into the Facebook algorithm, what really goes into the Google algorithm, or really any other algorithm on social media. So my biggest concern is that we are overwhelmed by the complexity of the systems that we've built. And we're not even really aware of why it's doing certain things. And it's too complex for any one human individual to fully understand. And part of the reason why this is bad is that it lends itself to manipulation. And there have been cases where rather than finding the best person for a product, they actually turn a person into the type of person that will like that product and, and this is the case in political examples where they would basically, you know, target a certain audience and they would show them ad after ad after ad trying to get them not to vote just trying them to feel like, you know, the system is so broken, all the candidates are corrupt, there's really no point in going out and voting, you know, you should just stay home. And it's not like this ad campaign found people that already had that that, uh, sentiment. They Mm -hmm. actually made people have that sentiment by the ads they were launching. Because the algorithm is just gonna do whatever it can to achieve the highest conversion rate. That's what it's programmed to do. So Mm -hmm. my concern is that as these algorithms get more and more complex and more and more effective at driving human behavior, if they're not transparent, if they're a black box, then people will be manipulated without their knowledge and they may not even realize why they hold certain beliefs to be true. And it may be that those beliefs were actually driven by an algorithm trying to sell a product or you know, create some, some future scenario that's beneficial to whoever launched the ads.
1: Yeah, that manipulation thing is actually exactly what my worst case scenario is, too, because there's a lot of really cool things that are happening in the marketing realm. But that's the scary thing is when there are these algorithms that can actually manipulate a person to do something they wouldn't have originally done or buy something they wouldn't have originally bought. All of these sorts of campaigns, I think, are really toxic. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like the marketing or the advertising industry in particular is around to stay. Like it's it's going to be here for a while because that's the primary economic driver of a lot of tech companies is advertising. But what needs to happen is these advertisements need to – they need to actually be ethical. They can't change the behavior of the person. I mean the ultimate – um, goal would be to introduce ideas and concepts to people that didn't know about it in the first place. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. what marketing is. But when, when you do change the behavior, then that can be used for really sinister things. I mean, it doesn't have to be about buying something. It can just be for political reasons, like you mentioned, or for mm-hmm. any or, other or number. Or making of people
0: reasons. have low self-esteem so they buy a beauty product, for instance. Yeah,
1: yeah, like that. That kind of stuff is is really toxic, in my opinion, and I don't think that's very debatable in most circles. <laughs> and yeah, that's, uh, that is pretty much exactly my worst case scenario. And you can, I mean, that can extend to the far future when advertisements are not just these visual things. Like, you can manipulate people's behavior in a whole host of ways. And if we get to a point where there are brain-machine interfaces, for example, you could see if you know if advertising was somehow integrated into brain-machine interface technology, that could also be really bad because you don't even know the origin of mm-hmm. what's yeah. happening. It's just like these electrical uh, stimulations are going into your mind and it changes your behavior without you even knowing what's going on.
0: Right, because people will say now that advertising is really buying real estate in someone's brain and that's mm-hmm. true but it's also somewhat of a metaphor with a brain mm-hmm. machine interface it could be like an actual reality where you yeah. like literally buy some yeah you know part of someone's attention in yeah. a very direct way yeah
1: and and i'm i'm afraid that that is something that could happen if the technology gets into the wrong hands like if if some company of the future that was creating brain machine interfaces. Let's say it's three successors beyond Elon Musk, you know, in Mm a hundred or so years. Um, and they've totally lost the vision of Elon Musk and they're kind of going rogue and partnering with, you know, countries and governments to, you know, control their people with their brain machine interfaces. That's scary. And that's, I mean, yeah. that could also be done, you know, with big corporations and advertising and just like directly planting the idea. It's almost like inception, like planting this idea that you need to buy this thing or do this thing. Um, right.
0: And there would, there would likely be a safe version of a brain machine interface. That's like the high end, like, you know, Apple Tesla version. That's all like <laughs> ad blocker, whatever. But there could be like a version that's a free brain machine interface where they just allow some advertisers to seep into your prefrontal cortex. And it kind of reminds me of a quote that I heard from the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast where he said, if you're using a product and the product is free, then more often than not, you're the product. Yeah. (laughs) Like if you're on Google, if you're on Facebook, if you're on pretty much any product that does not charge anything, then what's mm-hmm. likely happening is they're selling your data and you are in fact the product. So whenever you consume content that is quote unquote free, you should be really uh, suspicious about what the real business model is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and that's, that's something definitely to consider. I will also say that especially if it's a, a startup product for example, just because something is free doesn't necessarily mean that your information is, you know, being sold and you're being, you know, your data's profit driver. Because sometimes companies will just try to get a whole bunch of users
0: right, by making their
1: product free. So it's not like a, a universal case, but I think in general, especially for established companies, like honestly, Google is probably one of the prime factors of all of this. Yeah. Google Hangouts, like the whole Google suite is free. What did you hear? Google they're coming tra-
0: out with a free version of Slack that integrates Hangouts and Gmail and GChat and all of that into one app. And it's like, yeah. why would Google pay for all that and give away the product for free if they're not making some money off of the vast swaths of users that are putting their data on yeah. the system?
1: And I got, so another even scarier potentially example is I got a Google home for free
0: oh, without, yeah, without
1: just by um, being a subscriber to Spotify. Oh yeah, I saw uh, that they offer. Like, they were like, yeah, if you, uh, if you get this, if you get a premium membership for Spotify, which I already had, then you can have a free Google home. So they like sent me this code to get a free Google home. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I'm totally the product and I, I did it. I have the Google home, but yeah, I am certainly the product in that case.
0: Right. And it doesn't mean it's necessarily evil, but you should just be really wary and, and don't go into it with your eyes wide shut. Go into it with your eyes wide open. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a good way to think about it.
0: Yeah. So should we go to the best case scenario? Yeah, let's do it. All right, you can start. What is your best case scenario for the future of marketing? Best case scenario.
1: So, my best case is something I sort of touched on in the worst case, um, which was basically marketing in general is something that connects people and ideas or people and products. When, and there's also no manipulation. It's really just this product is a perfect fit for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love scrolling through Instagram. And this is maybe this is weird, but I like scrolling through Instagram these days and seeing a product that is really relevant for me. And I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm. I can, you know, I can think about all the ways that that information was actually shared with Instagram. Why is it that Instagram has enough information to know that this is a relevant product for me? Like mm-hmm. that's a little scary to think about sometimes. But in the end, I'm getting something that's relevant for me. Like with a yeah. a wedding, with a wedding coming up and registry and everything going on, like I I have some really interesting things coming up. Like some of these some really cool floral ties, for example, from this mm-hmm. company called Daisy, D-A-Z-I. Like that's a really cool product that is relevant. I bought
0: one of me. those floral ties from them through an Instagram ad.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there's just a lot of things like um, like Floyd Detroit is another one. They have these like platform beds
0: that oh, I, don't know that I
1: find very um, aesthetically appealing and some other competitors of them, so I'm like, oh, maybe I should consider this one instead of that one. And it's just, yeah. um, it's actually interesting to find stuff that I like because ten years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, if I was scrolling through, nothing was relevant. It was like, buy life. When I was maybe 15 years old, it was like buy life insurance for your children, or you know, something mm-hmm. stupid because there was just not enough information about me as a person and what my demands were right so and
0: and part of the reason why you're getting served up more ads that are in the platform bad realm is because you probably clicked on the initial one that you liked and then Mm -hmm. facebook is able to recognize oh this person clicks on ads like this and then Mm -hmm. you'll get served up different products but that's a great thing because then you get served up on a silver platter all of the current offerings that are mm-hmm. most relevant for you. And you know an important concept is the long tail marketing, which we've kind of touched on, but not explicitly. And mm-hmm. this is the notion that if you imagine a graph that starts super high up on the y-axis and then slopes downwards exponentially with a super mm. long tail that goes out way to the right on the x-axis, that's mm. essentially any demand in any industry. And it used to be the case in the days of Don Draper and Mad Men where it only was profitable to advertise the f- the the fat head of the curve, not the long tail. Because uh, all you could okay. do is shotgun marketing. So it only made sense if you're selling a product that's pretty much relevant for everyone. So you'd have like the three big TV stations, like whatever the mm-hmm. biggest artists were of the time. But if you're some niche screamo, you know, punk rock, down-tempo artist that's super niched with like a folk ukulele vibe, like you're not going to be able to run profitable ad campaigns. But what happened yeah. with the explosion of the internet is that now you can target and you can actually have Facebook auto-optimize it for you to find those few hundred people that really love that punk screamo ukulele music that you're making. Yeah. And it it really allows for so many founders with cool ideas to actually find their audience and fulfill their passion in life and follow their dreams. And it sort of levels the playing field in a sense uh, Mm -hmm. against the big players, especially when everyone has iPhones with HD cameras and you can just get a drone rather than paying, you know, $20,000 for a, a crane shot that they used to have to do in the movie business. It's like, that's my best case is that you're empowering so many founders and cool people to actually make their dreams a reality and build a business for themselves while also empowering people to find the products that are most beneficial for their life and their whole vibe.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much you just outlined Noble Growth's mission in general yeah, as is. well. And that's, I mean, that's a really good way to think about it. And. There was actually, as you were talking, I thought about a couple of other things, a couple of other trends that I think will really help these founders going forward. And that is, I mean, just technology, like the newest iPhone with the three different camera lenses. That takes ridiculous pictures. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever making video content, for example, you can actually, there's an app that you can, have the back three camera lenses going and also the front camera lens working. So you oh, can yeah. like, you can get this like dynamic interview going forward. So let's say you wanted to appeal to authority and you wanted to have an interview with somebody talking about, you know, uh surf chocolate. Yeah. You could have the interview with Kelly Slater. And just like pan back and forth with like these different wide-angle lenses of the, you know, the back of the camera. And then maybe to your friend Hunter that's, you know, talking and interviewing Kelly Slater. And it's like going back and forth all with a single take with Mm -hmm. this one camera. And it's all in the same file immediately. Like you don't have to do anything. It's just all right there synced up completely. So. Things like that and the fact that drones are getting less expensive and there's all of this content creation technology that's going to make the what we were saying earlier is the most important part of marketing, the creative uh, generation and the content. All of the things that create content are getting easier to use and it's making content creation easier and easier. So mm-hmm. a single person or a small team can make better content than massive corporations 20 years ago
0: right totally
1: and you know just stuff like that makes the future of marketing uh, really um, really bright in my mind
0: yeah it's really exciting and there are even easier businesses where if for instance let's say you just are a cool illustrator and you want to sell like t-shirts you can set up a whole drop shipping business where you never even have to touch the supply chain. They just get created Mm -hmm. automatically and they get shipped automatically. And all you have Mm -hmm. to do is just collect the money in your bank account and watch it pile up.
1: Yeah. Create, (laughs) create the demand for it. Yeah. Start, start at the top, but you don't have to like make all a huge inventory purchase or anything. You just set up the system and then it's working.
0: Yeah. And then you just make tweaks to the system. Like there's no real like, you know, long hours doing tedious things, it's all just like, and really, it's all about having a systematic approach, where you don't let your emotions get the best of you. You don't let yourself become arrogant, you just have a curious mindset. And you've, you optimize towards learning. And anytime something fails, you don't see it as a failure. You just see it as a new learning. It's like, I think it was Thomas Edison that says, it's not that I found it's not that I failed 10,000 times. It's just that I found 10,000 ways that a light bulb won't work. And then finally, yeah. I found the way that a light bulb <laughs> will work. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. so I think now might be a good time to round it out with the likely case. How, yeah. how different is your likely case from the worst or the best case?
0: Most likely scenario. So I actually would say my likely case is closer to the best case, and I'll Mm -hmm. tell you why. There is evidence that marketing is becoming more honest and more ethical. So Facebook, Google, 10 years ago, it used to be pretty much the Wild West. You could Mm -hmm. have any sort of crappy website that stole people's information, and as long as you had the right you know, headers and keywords and backlinks, you could game Google's system. That's no longer possible because Google is able to determine whether people actually find what they want based on how quickly they bounce off of the page and also based on things like user reviews. And with Facebook, for instance, you used to be able to just launch like any ad, like you could do an ad of like a really, you know, sexy, scantily clad woman and it has nothing to do with your product but tons of people mm-hmm. would click on it and then more people than you would think would actually end up buying the product. Uh, or you could say like things that are totally false on Facebook. Not, not saying that I've ever done this, but I've seen a lot of ads that are clearly false in the past and they would get past Facebook's mm-hmm. system. But now it's so super clear that Facebook has made a point of only allowing ads that are relevant for the product you're selling. So, a lot of times I'll get an ad denied even if it's like somewhat related to the product if it's not close enough. Like I'll give you an example. So, an ad that I made for Sonic Cloud was about like how well you can hear when you're using Sonic Cloud, and I used this photo of this like sand fox which has like huge ears and it's this really cute sand fox with like big ears. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I thought it was related enough to the product because we're talking about how well you're able to hear when you use this app. But Uh Facebook denied it because they basically said, this is not relevant enough for your product. You need to actually show the product in use. And, you know, Hmm. all of our top ads were the product in use. So it's very clear that making your product the star and telling the truth in a fascinating way is mm-hmm. the best way to perform well on Facebook. In other yeah. words, just think about the way marketing should be morally and ethically, and then come up with a campaign in that mindset. Like, envision that you're like the CMO of Apple and you're trying to create a super clean ad that makes your product the star in a, as elegant, simple, truthful, straightforward way as possible. That is the ad that's going to perform best on Facebook or Google or Twitter Mm -hmm. or LinkedIn or anywhere else. So it's more ethical. It's more honest. It's very clear that there's going to be much greater ad spend in general. The pie is growing at a pretty exponential rate, so it's a really good time to be in this industry. It's Mm -hmm. clear that automation is increasing and you should use that to your advantage. Like we said, You shouldn't spend your time, you know, constantly making manual tweaks on Facebook. Instead, you should just let the system run itself once a week. You have a set budget, even if it's, you know, you only spend a hundred bucks a week. But at the end of that week, you see what works, what doesn't, and you run new experiments. If you have that sort of mindset, then you're using automation to your advantage. You're using the Facebook algorithm to your advantage. So Mm -hmm. that's going to increase And I would also say that the final thing for my most likely is I truly believe that authenticity is going to be one of the greatest differentiators between those who succeed and those who do not. And for instance, if you are a brand that goes viral on Twitter, it's not because you have the same boring message that goes out to every that is trying to appeal to everyone and trying not to offend anyone the people who go mm-hmm. viral like the brands that go viral on twitter are the ones that take somewhat of a funny stand for a cause and they may alienate part of their audience but they're actually attracting the people in the network that have the same values that they do and mm-hmm. in the future of advertising we gave the example of nike supporting Colin Kaepernick with their you know like with their campaign um that mm-hmm. was like i forget what it was called but it was like it was like, uh, like, risk everything, something like that. Okay, yeah. But that's a really good example, because obviously, you know, Nike is alienating something like 40 percent of the population. So some people would say, "Oh my God, what a dumb move. I can't believe Nike did this campaign with Colin Kaepernick since he's such a controversial figure. But it actually was a brilliant move for them because they realigned their brand with the whole black lives matter movement with all the nfl players that had taken a knee with this whole idea of just doing what is right even if it's a really hard thing to do and even if it impacts your career and you know your wallet Mm -hmm. and nike's sales absolutely skyrocketed after this campaign so i would say don't try to be everything to everyone try instead to be as authentic as you can be And don't try to come up with a business that you think will make the most money. Just figure out what do you actually want to be spending your time doing every day? What are the products and services and ideas that really compel you personally? And then just take a curious experimental mindset to trying new things to see if it'll work. And if you're authentic and you're systematic about it and you are willing to come up with good creatives and and spend the time doing that, then I think there's a great chance you'll achieve success and possibly also achieve full financial freedom to do what you want in life. And that's, you know, it's close to the best case, but that's because I'm actually really optimistic about where marketing is going. And sorry, one other thing I would say is that a big change is Jack Dorsey brought about this idea of a social media protocol. And the idea behind that is, a fully transparent algorithm that anyone can see what the drivers are, what's being optimized for, and then we can change the algorithm if we want, but that would make it fully transparent. And if the algorithm is fully transparent, and if that trend becomes a reality, not just on Twitter, but for Facebook and Instagram and other platforms, then I'm even more optimistic about the most likely scenario.
1: Yeah, I think that you put the likely scenario um, really well. I think the one thing I would – the thing that I would add is the – Worst and best case, it's probably going to be a sort of dance between the two. Like we sort of saw something approaching the worst case scenario in the past where it was like a lot of lies. Like you said, the wild west of Google and Facebook and also back in the fifties where it was just like totally unethical, lying about everything, just getting something to sell. And I think we're kind of on the, what if you're thinking about an ebb and flow between the the best and worst case for the time, Right now we're sort of approaching a a better scenario, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, something more like the best case. And then maybe sometime in the future there will be a new technology like a brain-machine interface that comes out and some bad actors enter the market and there's maybe less transparency about what's going on and less regulation. Um, But then there will be a correction, right? Like in general, people are good and people will fix and try to regulate things that are not good for humanity, especially in a country like the, you know, pretty much, um, you know, a lot of Europe, a lot of the United States, a lot, you know, a lot of countries are like that, minus a few major countries in the world would take the steps to regulate that. And I'm optimistic that in the long term, the, you know, the good, Actors will win out and the regulations leading to that kind of behavior will win out. And that's kind of what I think for the likely case.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this. And if you are at all interested in starting your own business, you know, we are we have opened our doors at Noble Growth, so you can reach out to us. Matamore at Noblegrowth.co. And yeah, we're wishing the best to all of our listeners that you guys can build some really incredible products out there and you know help improve the world.
1: The best, the present is the best.